Good to see you. If you're visiting with us, I want you to know that we're absolutely thrilled to death that you have chosen to come and and be in church with us. We are in the beginning stages of a sermon series entitled The Wow Factor. And here's the way it is. Life with God is supposed to be an exciting journey. A journey marked by moments that absolutely take our breath away. But is that how most of us would describe our current experience with God? If not, I may know what the problem is. The wow factor might be missing from our lives. You say, Ronnie, you mentioned the wow factor last week. What, what is this wow factor you're talking about? The wow factor is the distinct evidence of the activity of God in a person's life. You see, when God is active in our lives, he will often do things for us or perhaps through us that amaze or wow us. If that's not happening, then I fear that we've lost the wow factor. So for the next several Sundays, we're going to study the Bible, and we're going to discover what it takes to restore the wow factor to life. So are you ready to study the Bible together for a few minutes? Good, man. There were only like 18 in the first service. There had to be 75 or 80 in this one. We're going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 12 together, but before we do, let me set the stage and tell you what's happening. The Israelites are living under Roman rule. And the Roman government has appointed them a king, and his name was Herod Agrippa. And Herod began to persecute Christians. And I believe that he did so as he was being encouraged by the leaders of of his Jewish constituency. And so he singled out a guy named James, and you've probably heard of him. He was one of the original 12 disciples of Christ, brother of John. He was a leader in the church. He was very influential, important, and highly visible. And so Herod had James arrested, and then he had him executed. And the Bible says he had him executed by the sword, which means one of two things. He was either decapitated or he was cut in half, but either way, it was not good. And Herod saw that this pleased the Jews, so he decided he would do it again. So he had another man arrested whose name was Peter, and I believe you've probably heard of him. Once again, he was one of the original 12 disciples of Christ. He was a leader in the church, influential, important, visible. And Herod had Peter arrested, and he intended to do the same thing to Peter. He was going to execute him. However, he had arrested him during the Passover celebration. This was a week-long, very important celebration to the Jewish people. And so Herod made a decision. I'm not going to kill him until this Passover is over in hopes that I will not offend the Jews because he was trying to curry favor with the Jews. And so he arrested Peter and had him placed in maximum security. And here was Peter in the hands of his enemy in an impossible situation and death was imminent. But 
Look at verse 5 with me. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. So while Peter is holed up in jail, the church is coming together for the purpose of praying for him, and they're praying earnestly, and we saw last week that means sincerely, but they're not just praying sincerely, they're praying very sincerely. And as a result, what happened? On the evening before Peter was to be executed, he's lying in a prison cell fast asleep. He's got a guard chained to each arm. And an angel walks into the prison, goes into Peter's jail cell, and when he walked in, he just this angel just illuminated the room with a bright light. And why he did that, I don't know. I don't know why he did that. Showing off, I guess. He lights up the room, and then he reaches down, and he strikes Peter on the side, and he said, wake up. And when he said, wake up, Peter's shackles just fell off of his arms. You say, how do you explain that? It was supernatural. I mean, we ought to already see that God is up to something. I mean, an angel has shown up on the scene, and so these shackles fall off. And the angel says to Peter, get your clothes on. Which has always amazed me. Did Peter strip down to his fruit of the looms and go to sleep between these two guys on the night before he died? I mean, this guy's got nerves of steel. And so he says, get your clothes on, get your coat, get your shoes, and follow me. And so Peter gets up, and he follows this angel out of the prison cell. Now, this has got to raise a couple of questions. What about the guards? I can't find anything in the Bible that tells me that they tried to offer any kind of resistance or prevent this escape from taking place. Now, Ronnie, you say, why do you think that is? I think it was supernatural. Either the angel put him into some comatose state or either he, you know, just uh, froze them so that they were paralyzed and couldn't do anything about it. I don't know, supernatural. And then they walked right out the prison cell. Okay, i got to assume that the prison cell door was locked. How did they get out? I'll tell you what I think. I think God made the prison cell door just open of its own accord, and I'll show you why I believe that in just a minute. And so Peter follows the angel out, and, and there were four guards that were watching, two that he had been chained to, but then there was a guard post that they had to pass, and so the angel and Peter go past the guard, and this guard does nothing to prevent the escape. I think you know why. God was up to something. Then they go by the next guard, and that guard does nothing to prevent the escape. There again, God was doing something unexplainable. They come to this locked gate that separated the prison from the city, and the Bible says that of its own accord, the gate just unlocked and opened so that the angel and Peter could walk free. And if that gate did it, I believe the prison cell door did it. So Peter is walking down the streets of Jerusalem with his new angelic companion. And you know what he's thinking? I'm dreaming. This is a dream. You know what that tells me that Peter's thinking? This is just too good to be true. And they're walking down the street, and all of a sudden the angel goes, And at that moment, Peter realized 
I'm not dreaming. This really happened. God sent an angel who rescued me from everything Herod and the Jewish leaders were planning on doing to me. And I believe the moment he realized this was reality, I believe he said, Wow, you got it. I believe he said, Wow, I just can't believe this has just happened to me. And so what does he do? I want you to look in verse number 12, Acts chapter 12, verse 12. It says, When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, This is a key phrase, where many were gathered for prayer. You see that? How was this church very sincerely praying for Peter? They were coming together in groups small enough to meet in a house. No, this is not a pitch for life groups. This is a pitch for prayer. So I want you to listen carefully to me. They came together and they prayed together for the apostle Peter. Verse 13, he knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. Listen, when Rhoda recognized this is Peter, I believe she had to say, you got it. She was so overjoyed, what did she do? She didn't let him in. Instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's out there standing at the door. Now, I want you to see how these great men and women of faith, men men and women we've described as prayer warriors, look how they responded to that. Verse number 15, they said to her, you're out of your mind. That's ludicrous. That's crazy to think that he's out there, that Peter has been delivered. When she insisted, she kept saying, no, I'm telling you, I know Peter's voice and that's Peter. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. You know what they're saying? Oh, my God, Peter's been killed. Now, what are you praying for? You're praying that he would be delivered. And so what are you thinking happened? You're thinking, well, God didn't answer our prayers. They've executed him tonight. He's already a goner out of here. And now his angel's out there looking around outside somewhere. Verse number 16. Meanwhile, I love this, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. I believe they all stepped back and said, you got it. Wow, this is incredible. That's what we were praying for. And and I want you to look what happened. And and so Peter steps in and look at verse number 17. said, he motioned for them to quiet down. What does that tell you was going on? When they began to see Peter, he said, I wonder what was happening. Hey, did any of you watch the national championship game Monday night? Can I see your hand? Can I see your hand? Okay, seven of you watched it. I do not believe that. If you were watching that game and, and, and Clemson scored a touchdown, there was half of that stadium dressed in orange, and how were they acting? Can you, can you picture it? Do you see it? You know, when Alabama scored a touchdown, half of that stadium was dressed in crimson. How were they acting? I'm not trying to dredge up bad memories, folks. I'm trying to make a point. (laughs) If you can picture the pandemonium, the excitement, the enthusiasm, that's what was taking place in the prayer meeting. They went off, man. They went nuts. They were yelling and shouting and praising. Peter goes, okay, hold it down, hold it down. And we don't often do that in Baptist churches, do we? You know, hold it. I've never had to walk up crowd. Hold it down. I've got to preach. <laughs> These folks 
were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down. And then he began to tell them how the Lord had led him out of prison. And he said, tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. So he began to tell them this crazy story. Guys, I was sound asleep. An angel showed up. Shackles just fell off. Doors open. Guards were paralyzed. Here I am. He tells him the story. Now, what do we learn from this little story? I believe this. People who pray together are wowed by God. Excuse me, I jumped way out of myself. People who pray are wowed by God. I've already, I've already given it away. I guess I can skip these next two paragraphs. No, I'm a preacher. I'm going to say everything I came to say. God wowed this little group of people by answering their prayers. When they saw Peter, they were amazed. And just imagine how much more amazed they were as Peter told this story. People who pray are wowed by God. Yet some of you are sitting there thinking, Ronnie, I pray, but I can't say I'm being wowed by God. I can't remember the last time somebody tried to calm me down because I was so overjoyed that God had answered one of my prayers. I might know what the problem is. Looking back at our story, how did these people pray? You say, Ronnie, they prayed sincerely. We talked about that last week. They did, but they prayed sincerely together. And man, that's a key point. They prayed sincerely together. These people met for the sole purpose of praying together. They weren't having a dinner and then a guest speaker and going to tack on the back end of this thing. We'll have a little prayer time. Man, they came together to pray. And this wasn't an isolated instance. In the book of Acts alone, I found seven examples of believers coming together for the sole purpose of prayer. And when they prayed together, it was likely that they were about to get wild. Acts chapter 4, two guys, Peter and John, they got arrested for preaching the gospel. And so the powers that be gave them a harsh lecture, reprimanded them, and then threatened them and said, don't, we're going to let you go, but don't you ever do that again. And so these guys show up at church. They tell their church this story. And you know what the Bible says the church did? It said they lifted up their voices together in prayer. And when they finished praying, they got a wow moment. You know what the Bible said happened? It said God literally shook the building they were meeting in. Is that, is that amazing? Shook the building. Danny's over here. Danny was the contractor that built this building. He said, Ronnie, we can't have that. We put a lot of work. We can't have that. Let me tell you what was more amazing is that after the building shook, God filled them with the Holy Spirit and gave them boldness. So in spite of the danger, in spite of the threat, they went out and preached the gospel anyway. That's amazing. Thank you, Joyce. Acts chapter 16, two guys, Paul and Silas, they got arrested for leading a lady to Christ. They were beaten and thrown into prison, and that night they found themselves about midnight, and they started to pray together. And as a result of their prayers, you know what God did? He wowed them. Once again, the Bible said that God shook the jail to the point that it came off the foundation. That's amazing. You know what was more amazing? The jailer who was watching them was saved, and so was every member of his family, and apparently every prisoner who was in the prison with them that night also received Christ. God wowed them. So we got to add a word. Now we're going to catch him back up where I was. we got to add a word to our lesson. Here's what we've actually learned this morning. People who pray together are wowed by God. Now I'm an advocate for private prayer, and you know that. 
But I believe in addition to our private prayer times, we're supposed to every once in a while meet together with other believers and pray with them. Other than praying together before a meal, and I'm not demeaning that. I think that's an important part of our family. But other than praying together before a meal, do you currently have anyone with whom you meet consistently for the purpose of praying together? Now, this is where the first group got real quiet. You're not going to get quiet on me, are you? They kind of looked at me in the first service like, I think Ronnie's going weird. I think, listen, I've been weird. If you're just discovering that, I don't know, where you, I don't know what you've been paying attention to. If you do, great. But I'm guessing most of us would say, no, I don't. It was common in the first century that believers got together to pray together. But in the 21st century, I'm afraid that we've all but abandoned this practice. You say, now, wait a minute, Ronnie. I know a lot of churches still have Wednesday night prayer meetings. Sure they do. Attend one and see how much praying actually goes on. Somebody's probably going to get up and talk about praying. And and somebody might share a few prayer requests. But as a general rule, not a lot of praying ever takes place. If I'm right. Why do you think 21st century believers spend very little, if any time, praying together? I asked several people that question this week. And, I, and man, they gave me a host of answers. And I want you to be patient with me because I'm going to share seven of those answers very briefly. And, and th- these were things that they said. They said, first of all, if someone already has a healthy private prayer life, maybe they've never really seen the need to come together with another person and pray with them. I thought, well, that sounds legitimate. But number two, perhaps this is the reason we don't pray with others anymore is people in this generation don't believe in prayer the way that believers in previous generations did. You know what I fear? Now, last week we looked at James 5.16. My paraphrase or the Hodge translation, when an ordinary person who is right with God prays sincerely, God wows them with amazing results. And you know what I fear? that I'm part of a generation of believers who don't believe that. And that could be a part of our problem. Number three, we're just too busy to take time to pray with someone. I mean, it's challenging enough to find your own private prayer time, let alone trying to add in time to pray with someone else. Number four, I believe the church may have become so dependent on other things, we just don't see our need of God anymore. I think we're in a part of, a part of an age that, you know, we're depending on cool facilities, technology, creativity, talent. I think all those things are important and they're all part of the equation. But if we are depending on those things alone, no one's life is ever going to be changed because only God can change a life. Number five, maybe we don't recognize the trouble that others are in or maybe we do recognize the trouble they're in and we just really don't care if they make it or not. Number six, this is one, I I thought this was a big one. We're so concerned with what others think about us that it would be extremely difficult for us to ever pray with someone and to pray aloud in front of that person. What would they think? How How would they evaluate my prayer? 
Or we're so concerned with what others think of us that we would never honestly tell people what we're struggling with for fear that they would think less of us. I'll tell you something. If you've got folks that won't tell you where they're really hurting and you've got others that won't really open up and pray, it takes the sincerity right out of a prayer meeting. Number seven, and I think this is the big one. I appreciate your patience. I believe the number one reason is we've let the devil talk us out of praying with each other. Of all that we could do when we come together like this, the most productive time spent would be time spent in prayer. James essentially says in James 5.16, prayer works. Prayer gets the job done. Prayer produces wonderful results is exactly the way James said it. Do you think the devil doesn't know that? Sure he does. So I believe that he works hard to keep us from coming together and praying with one another. People who pray together are wowed by God. So if that is indeed the truth, here's what I think we ought to do. I think we need to start praying together. Now, some of you are freaking out. You're freaking out right now. You know what you're thinking? He's about to call on me. He's going to call on me right now to lead it. No, I'm not. You know? Let's start praying together. First of all, let's pray with our spouse. If we're married, let's pray with our spouse. Can I make an honest confession? Lynn and I stink at this. Now, some of you got fire all that boy. You're going to fire him. We stink at it. Now, there have been periods of our marriage where we, we were faithful to pray together. And when we have, we've often been wowed by God. But for some reason, as of late, I guess just because I'm no good, so for some reason, we've just become slack at this. And so we've made a commitment that at least once a week, once a week, time out, she and I are going to sit down together alone and we're going to pray together. You say, what are you going to pray about? Well, she's going to pray for me. I'm going to pray for her. We're going to pray for our kids. We're going to pray for our son-in-law and our daughter-in-law, and we're going to pray for our grandkids. And Lynn and I are facing some challenges, and we're praying about those challenges, and we've got some needs, and we're praying about those needs, and God has given us some lofty goals that he wants us to attain, and we're praying about those goals. And I'm challenging you. I'm challenging each of you to, to, to try this this week one time, praying with your spouse. I know what some of you men just thought. I know men. I know what you just thought. Oh, Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie. I don't don't know about that. I don't know if I could pray in front of my wife. I mean, what would she think? Can Can I ask you? Let me just say this. Your wife has seen you parading around the house in your underwear. Shirtless. She knows what she got. It's too late for you to be thinking about your image. I'm not trying to pick on you. You say, I'm so introverted. I am too. I'd much rather be sitting where you're sitting and let you be standing up here. I'd much rather have been on the river this morning by myself sitting on a rock than in a crowd like this. 
I know what it's like to be introverted. But here's what I'm saying. Guys, your wife needs to hear you pray. And ma'am, your husband needs to hear you pray. You say, I don't know what he would think of me. It would just solidify what he's already thinking. He's thinking you're the best thing God ever brought into his world, and it would just solidify it. Second, let's pray with our family. I'm talking in particular to parents that still have children living at home, and I think in addition to this, why don't you make a commitment to at least once a week tell the kids, cut off the PlayStation, Xbox, cut it off, put the iPhones up. We're putting the iPhone up. Put it up, put it up, come in here, and we're going to pray together. And mom, if you're a single mom or dad, sing, you know, you're a single parent or, or, or mom and dad, look at those kids in the eye and say, mom and daddy want to know how we can pray for you. Now, if you've got teenagers, you can fully expect this answer. I don't know. That's okay. That's okay. You know some things they need. They need protection. They need guidance. They need God's hand on their life. Pray for them in front of them. Moms, your children need to hear you pray. Dad, your kids need to hear you pray. Now, I'm going to pick on some men right now, and I wouldn't do this if I didn't feel absolutely compelled just, I have to say this. Some of you guys, let me tell you what you just thought. You thought, Ronnie, I can't do that. And here's why. My family, they know me. They hear the way I talk. They watch the way I live. Yes, I come to church with them some, but that's about where it ends. I've never taken this whole Christianity thing seriously, and my family knows it. And how hypocritical would it be for me to pray in front of them? You're right, it would be hypocritical. You know the fix, though? Make things right with God. If there's something going on in your world that would prevent you from praying in front of your kids and your kids believing that you are real, then you need to go fix that with God. The Bible says that we husbands are the spiritual leaders in our home, which means we're the ones to take the initiative in this. Is this sermon working out better than you thought it was going to? I'm telling you the truth. Third, let's pray with our life group. Let's pray together with our life group. Some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, I'm new. I don't even know what these are. They're small circles of people, 6 to 14 people. They meet on a regular basis. Really, the purpose of the meeting is to kind of create an atmosphere where a relational connection will, will happen so that in the context of a relationship, people can help people keep going so that as they keep going, they keep growing closer to God, more like Christ. And when they meet, generally speaking, there's a meal. Come on, come on, you group members. No, that's right. 
You know, I'm a part of Dan and Karen's group, and I joined their group because somebody told me they're outstanding cooks, and they were right. There's a meal, there's a Bible study, and then we have prayer time. Now, when we have this prayer time, I want to encourage you as group members to do something. Pray sincerely with each other. What this means, if you're sitting there and somebody says, can we pray for someone? And you're sitting there and your heart is racing. And you're choking back tears because you know that you're in the fight of your life. You're struggling with something. You know what I want you to do? I want you to exercise a little faith in God in that group. I want you to tell them. I'm just going to tell you. This is how you can pray for me. Now, if you're sitting across the room and it's never been your forte to pray out loud, but your pulse quickens and maybe the palms of your hands begin to sweat and, and you just feel this urge that you ought to be the one to pray, but you know it means you're going to have to pray out loud, I want you to exercise a little faith in God and in that group. I want you to go. I'd like to pray for her. I want you to do it. I'm here to tell you that if there's anybody in that group evaluating how you pray, they're a jerk. Honestly, there's no one there who's got a scorecard and evaluating your knowledge of the Bible when you pray. I'm encouraging you to pray. Let's take the time to pray with each other and for each other. This may mean you got to add more time to that prayer time, or either you got to set aside an entire night where you don't do anything other than pray, but group leaders, I'm encouraging you to take the lead on this. What's going to happen when we begin to pray, sincerely pray with each other? God is going to become active. We may not see it, what he's doing at first. We may not understand that. These people were holed up in Mary's house praying. They had no idea that God had sent an angel who just walked into the prison and walked into the cell and was performing a miraculous... They didn't have any idea. But God was active. And he was active in response to the fact that they were praying together. But oh, in time, the results of God's activity became obvious. Peter knocked at the door, and he began to tell them this crazy story about what God had done for him because you guys are praying. God will become active, and in time, the results of his activity will come obvious. He's going to wow us because people who pray together are wowed by God. So how do you close this sermon? How do you close out this sermon? You know what I want to do? I want us to pray together. Some of you are thinking, okay, this is where it's going to get weird. This is where he's calling me. No, listen, we're going to pray together. And, and, and I want to encourage you to do something. When we come to church like this, sometimes Brock will say, let's pray. And I, I got to make a confession. When Brock's praying, a lot of times mentally I check out. 
I don't know if you do that. I do. Or I, I say at the close of the service, you know, let's pray together. I'm afraid sometimes we all check out and we listen to me pray. I don't want us to do that anymore. When someone says, let's pray together, I want us to pray together. So all I'm asking you to do right now is bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to forget there's anybody else in this building but you and God. Just you and God. And I want to ask you first of all, take a hard look at your life. Is there anything in your life that you need to make right with God now? Did something happen this week? Did you say something? Did you do something? And you knew then it was wrong. Matter of fact, just flashed up in your mind. Just, just tell God, I'm so sorry. Maybe it's something that's chronic. It's just it's become embedded in your life. It's just become a part of the way you live. But you know what God thinks of it. God thinks that it's wrong. Listen to me. I want to ask you right now to just admit it to God. Say, God, this area is just, it's just a stronghold in my life. And I apologize to you. And I'm, I'm asking you to give me the strength to, to overcome this once and for all. you're looking back over your life in what ways has God already wowed you what has he done for you what has he gotten you through what has he given you I mean maybe this week just something special I want to ask you to do something take a few moments to just tell him anybody in your world that's in a situation similar to the Apostle Peter they're in trouble man if something miraculous doesn't happen it's going to be catastrophic you know anybody like that take a few moments and pray for them spouse, your kids, your grandkids. What are they facing? What do they need? Ask God.
What do you need God to do in your life? Ask Him. Close your prayer by just saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for being available to me today, for being accessible, for being willing to listen to me. Amen. Now, was that so bad? Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming. Have a great week.